Hey, Praise Chapel Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from a midweek service with David Diga Hernandez in a message about being secure in Christ. Now, if you haven't followed us on Instagram or Facebook, give us a follow at PC Paramount and then check out our website at praisechapelparamount.com. Enjoy this message. Well, God bless you this evening. I'm happy to be here at my home church, Praise Chapel Paramount. All is well. Everyone is doing great. You know, I don't know if you really, really realize or if we even appreciate really how great a move of God that we're in in this church. Just a tremendous move of God's Holy Spirit here. I want to minister tonight as my brother, Mr. Stephen Makazuma, backs me on the... Are you going to be cool standing the whole time or should we get you one of those musician stools? Oh, what? Oh, here they are. They're getting it all arranged. What just happened here? For those of you watching live online, Omar was just almost pulled off the stage by a cable that was attached to his body. It happened. So thank you, my friend. Good. My iPad was just about to die. Let's hear it for our brother Johnny there. My iPad was literally about to die. They just printed this off for me here. So this is just decoration now, and I'm going old school with some paper. Paper doesn't die on you, so that's a... (laughs) I've never heard anybody so excited about paper. But um, anyway, welcome to those of you watching online. We love and we appreciate you. Make sure that you visit us when you're in the area, or we encourage you, if you live in the area, to come and be a part of the tremendous things that God is doing here at Praise Chapel of Paramount, and how many will make them feel right at home here in the house of God. So make sure you visit us. And those of you watching online, remember to like, comment, and share so that this live stream can go all around the world. The more you like, the more you comment, the more you share, the more that Facebook and YouTube pick up on the algorithm and actually spread the message even further. So I want to talk to you tonight. It's going to be a very simple message, but I think it's important, especially in these days where there is so much uncertainty. I think that we as believers must learn to be certain of one thing, and that is our salvation found in Christ Jesus. So As your roots go deeper, and as you begin to water the roots of your faith, you begin to see the fruit of faith. You begin to see the fruit of confidence in what God has done produced in your life. This is important, especially because in the times that we're living, there are many believers who are falling away from the faith, and it's happening at a rapid pace. I mean, we're hearing things about Christians wanting to as they say, deconstruct their faith. You hear things about Christians wanting to re-examine what the Bible says. They want to take another look at what the scripture maybe has said. And they are saying things like, well, you know, the scripture was such an old book and it was written for different times. And many of the things that were said and taught are not necessarily relevant for today. And what begins to happen is there's this corroding of the foundations of our faith if we aren't on guard. And one of the foundational points that we must come to grasp, one of the foundational truths that we must learn is that we are secure in Christ. Now, I don't know how many times I've come into contact with Christians who are filled with fear and religious thinking concerning their salvation. How often I've heard the question asked, what happens to me if I die? 
Does God really forgive me of all my sins? Have I truly been redeemed? Have I truly been reconciled? Am I truly saved? And so if you're being honest with yourself, there may be times in your life where you come to question your salvation or come to question how firmly you actually stand in Christ. And religious spirits assault your mind. A misunderstanding of your salvation will cause you to become fearful. So I want to read you a scripture. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Very simple portion of scripture. I'm reading out of the King James Version here. This is what it says. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the scripture makes it very clear here that we are saved by grace through faith. It is our trust in the finished work of the cross that has produced the saving power of God in our lives. Now you need to remember this about worry. Worry is a useless attempt at control. Please hear me when I'm saying this because this is so fundamental when you understand what worry is, it actually is quite liberating. Worry is our useless attempt at control. Now, I'm what you call a backseat driver. You don't want to be in a car with me. I will question your every lane change. I will comment on your speed. Steve knows. Reuben knows. Poor Reuben, he's driven me places. Patrick knows. My wife doesn't know. I don't, let, I don't even let her drive when I'm in the car. I drive my wife. <laughs> but you know, when I'm in the passenger seat of a car I'm not in control of, I find myself doing something whenever I think that the car is not braking soon enough. I put my foot down. <laughs> my whole body tenses. And, and, and I'm trying to control through my worry what can only be controlled in the driver's seat. And so that tensing, that attempt, that, that fear that some of us carry, we don't realize it, but that fear concerning our salvation is our attempt to save ourselves. Do you see, the reason you're so afraid, the reason you sometimes question your salvation, the reason there is doubt is precisely because you think you're the one saving you. We worry because we think we save ourselves. We worry about our performance as believers on the daily basis because we think that we're saved based upon our performance. It's not your devotion to God that saves you. It's his devotion to you. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation, and you can't do anything to keep it. Now, this, at first, when we hear it, is a little startling and some people become bothered by this kind of preaching because immediately the response or the defense or the contrary or the contrasting viewpoint is, well, wait a minute, you can't tell them that because if you tell them that they're saved by faith, they're going to go on living lives of sin. If you tell them that they're saved by faith, they're going to think that they can live any way they want and that they're going to be able to be forgiven by God by living whatever lifestyle to whatever degree that they wish. 
But first, we have to understand how we are saved if we're going to understand the place that holiness has in our lives. Let me make this very clear. You are not saved because you live holy. You are not saved because you go to church. You are not saved because you remembered to read your Bible today. You are not saved because you did a good job of praying several days in a row without missing a day. You're not saved because you participate in ministry. You're not saved because you live morally. You're not saved because you think biblically. You're not saved because you speak lovingly. You're saved by faith in Christ Jesus alone. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simple. We've complicated the gospel truth. Remember this. Anything that is complicated and burdensome is always religious. Anything that is complicated and burdensome is always religious. And anything that is simple, though it is difficult, is usually spiritual. The spiritual is always simple and straightforward. Very rarely have we seen anything accomplished by tedious observation of laws and rules and regulations. The law was given not that it might be fulfilled by man. The law was given as a mirror that God said, look at this. This is my standard. The law was given not so that we could fulfill it. The law was given to us so that we could see that there's no way in our own power we can keep God's standard. It was given as a mirror to say, this is God's holy standard. You cannot save yourself. So the Bible says in Galatians 3, 6, in the same way, Abraham believed God, so simple, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. It's simple. So when I go in or when you go in for a procedure, let's say you go in for a medical procedure. Some of us, we can't stand the dentist. And they, they'll, they'll numb you up. They used to put you to sleep, but too many people didn't wake up. So now they just numb locally the area. But if you've ever gone in for a procedure, they ask that you have to sign the papers and you have to submit yourself to the process. You don't come out of that surgery going, look at what a wonderful surgery I performed on myself. You were asleep the whole time. What did you do that contributed to the success of that surgery? It's quite simple. You simply got on the table. You see, when it comes to salvation, it's not that we're doing the active work that's required to make us better again or transform our own hearts. It's not that we're working to gain God's approval. It's quite simply that we've surrendered ourselves to his process. When it comes to salvation, God is not looking that you be perf perfect. He's looking that you be submitted to the process of being perfected. So as long as I'm in the process, I'm walking with God. It's the equivalent of depositing a check. If I said, hey, I'm going to write a check to someone today. We're going to cover some bills. Well, first of all, people would probably be excited about that if that was something I was really going to do. But think about it. What do you have to do in order to receive it? You just have to deposit the check. Now, can you go on bragging and saying, look at what I deposited? That's my work. I deposited it. No, you received it as a free gift. Some of you got that stimulus. 
Did you work for that stimulus? No. I didn't like that they gave the stimulus under Trump. I don't like that they're giving the stimulus under Biden because another 10, 12 months from now, that inflation's gonna hit and it's gonna be worth very little anyway. But the point is, what did you do to earn it? Just you woke up and there it was in your account. You maybe just submitted some information. And so this is what I'm trying to communicate concerning salvation. It simply is submitting yourself to the process. It's simply putting yourself on that table. It's simply depositing that check. It's simply abiding in him and letting him do the work. He that began a good work in you is faithful to finish it. Who began the work? When you got saved, do you think you really on your own power chose to be saved? Now, maybe you responded to the desire that he placed in your heart. There is some some harmony between the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. But when you got saved, you did so because the Holy Spirit put a desire in you and you said yes to that desire and you responded to the gospel message. It was the Holy Spirit who put the desire in you to be saved. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers you to be saved. It is the Holy Spirit who keeps you holy when you're in the process of salvation. And it's the Holy Spirit who's going to give you the grace to finish that race until you come to perfection in Christ. Get on that operating table. Surrender your life to him. Now, there is, as I said, a contrasting view. Some would say, no, you can't tell them that. You can't preach that because if they think it really is that simple, they're going to live however they want. But guys, that's why the gospel is good news because it really is that simple. It's simple enough and we still mess it up. It's simple enough and we still make our mistakes. The deal is quite simple and we still don't keep our end of the covenant. But think about the fact that God came down and had to fulfill the deal himself. Think about that fact from the very beginning. God makes an agreement with Adam. And he says, okay, you're going to have dominion in the earth. All I ask of you, don't eat of that tree. What did he do? He ate of the tree. He breaks that covenant. And then you go down and God makes a covenant with Noah. And in making that covenant with Noah, what's so interesting is that he tells Noah, look, you're going to break this covenant, but I won't break my end. Because when you sin again, I'm not going to flood the earth and destroy all life on earth through a global flood. So there again, man breaks covenant. You go all the way down to David. You go down to Abraham. You go down all throughout the scripture and you find that every time God made a deal with man, man broke it. When God was making a covenant with the children of Israel, Moses goes to the top of Mount Sinai. He receives the commands of God. He receives the new covenant. And before he can even make it back down to the bottom of the mountain, the people of Israel are already breaking that covenant. They broke the covenant before it was even finished. And so God is trying to reconcile. How do I get man to be reconciled to me? Adam fell. Abraham, through the children of Israel, fell. And all throughout the ages, man is unable to keep his end of the deal. So what does God do? He sends his son Jesus as a man. And then Jesus, who is God in the flesh, turns around and he shakes hands with himself. And he, through himself, fulfills that what is required on our part, only believe. Now, there will be those who say, well, if you say that, you're, you're, you're inciting compromise. If you say that, you're causing people to fall. If you say that, you're making it too easy for them. If you say that, why is that guy waving in the sound room? What does he want? Why are you waving at me? 
If you say that, you're going to cause people to stumble. But just because someone is saying something that's harsh doesn't mean they're saying something that's true. Do you hear what I'm saying? So when somebody gets up and says, well, no, you have to, you have to live perfect if you want to make it into the kingdom of heaven. And, and they'll preach sermons like that. And, and sometimes I hear some of these preachers and I'm listening to them. I'm like, they're so focused on getting those sermons that make people go, ooh, wow, that got them, that they're failing to preach truth. They want people leaving there going, oh, man, that guy spoke it like it was. Did he really speak it like it was or was he just being mean? Because there's a difference between the two. And so when, when people preach like that, what do they produce in people? Fear. So rather than producing confident believers who are confident in the finished work of the cross, they produce believers wondering, wondering oh, my gosh, am I saved? Well, how many times do I have? I've seen people come to the altar like a thousand times. And, and each time... They're more afraid. Have I done something that has finally condemned me? Have I done something that's cut me off from God? I better renew that. I better make that good. Let me tell you something. Your sin is not that powerful. Your sin is not that powerful. That, that when he completes that work, when he starts that process, God is faithful to finish that process. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 23, 13. He rebuked the Pharisees the religious spirits for trying to make it more difficult than it actually was. He said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. First John 5, 3 says, loving God means keeping his commands and his commandments are not burdensome. Yes, it really is that simple. When we fail to understand what salvation is and how it's been produced in us, then we come up with questions that are inconsistent with what our faith actually teaches. So you've likely heard it asked, what happens if I look at a woman to lust and in that moment, because I'm not paying attention while driving, I get in a wreck and I die instantly? Well, the last thing you did was sin, so obviously you go to hell. That's what some people teach. What happens if I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a fit of anger and I'm yelling and I'm cussing? I just let my flesh get the better of me. What if somebody does that and they have a heart attack because they freaked out so badly? Well, they, they died angry, so of course they go to hell. That's religious. Furthermore, you'll hear these questions asked about even more important circumstances. My loved one committed suicide. Do they go to heaven or hell? Some religious people would say, well, the last thing they did. And you can see how this creates trouble in the mind. But think about this. If the way we're saved is that we die in perfection, then what was the point of the cross? If we have to constantly be parented, so, so I'm saved by the blood of Jesus plus a perfect record right when I die? Oh, brother, if you die with unconfessed sin, you didn't say it to God. Well, wait a minute. The scripture says the Lamb of God was slain before the foundations of the earth. That means this is outside the realm of time, and the blood of Jesus covers past, present, and future. <laughs> this makes some people nervous. I'll get to that in a moment where holiness comes in. We see how nervous people get. Well, wait, 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 wait. So you're telling they can go on. Well, that's what Paul said. Paul taught in such a way that he had to explain. Look, am I saying we should go on sinning? 
No, by no means. He had to clarify that because they would have misunderstood him had, they, had he not clarified that. That's how good of a gospel was preached from him. That he had to go out of his way to say, I'm not saying to continue in sin, but here's how you're saved. And so in the same way, I'm communicating this to you that we are not saved by our actions. We're not saved by a perfect record when we go home to be with the Lord. And so then, how are we saved? It's by grace through faith. Picture this. Picture a door in front of me. I'm going to mime it out for them right now. A door. And then a long hallway, very long. And I'll tell you why it's long in a moment. And then at the very end of that hallway, you have another door. So door, long hallway, door. Following? Okay. That first door, we'll call it justification. The hallway is sanctification. The door on the other end is glorification. So then, I come through that first door. Justification, justification. Justification means that I'm in right standing with God. It's a legal position. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he justified you. Now, justified means that when God looks at you, he sees the finished work of the cross. When God looked at Jesus on the cross, he saw your sin. That's the great exchange that takes place when someone commits their life to the Lord. Everything you ever did, everything you ever will do, will be placed on that cross, is placed on that cross. And the Bible says that God poured out all wrath. Say all wrath. If I pour it all out, do I have any left over? So for those who've received Christ as Savior, and only for those who've received Christ as Savior, the wrath of God has been absorbed by the cross. Now, of course, you'll still face consequences of things that happen in your life. The decisions that we make will have repercussions. But as far as God's book goes, in that book, you've been declared justified, meaning right standing. My sin counted toward Christ. His holiness, his righteousness counted toward me. His accomplishments are your accomplishments. His perfect record, your perfect record. His life counted as your life. That's what it means to be a believer. So once I come through this first door, I open that door, I shut it behind me, justified. Now, we can debate for hours and hours and hours and hours and never come to a conclusion about whether or not I can go back outside that door. Brother David, do you believe in once saved, always saved? I don't believe it matters because only God knows anyway. So I open that door and then I shut it behind me. Can I go back through that door? Can I lose my salvation? That's not what this message is about. Go debate it on Facebook with your friends. <laughs> but that door of righteousness shuts behind me and then begins my walk through this long hallway of sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which I become like Jesus. And at the very end, that other door, glorification, is the final product. Now, here's how some of us live our Christianity. We come through the door of sanctification. Okay, I'm through. In God's sight, I'm right standing. I'm justified. As I move through this hallway, some days I do this. Other days, and still other days, I cut, my back comes right up against that door. Some days, I feel like I'm making some progress. Other days, I feel like I'm just barely inching. And then someone upsets me, and I, I kind of lose a little bit of progress there. 
I maybe look at something I shouldn't. I, I lose a little bit of progress there. And here's the good news. No matter where you are in the process, you don't stand upon your performance. You stand upon his promise. So, so if I move into here and I do this some days, other days, I'm like, ugh, this is what I look at. And you feel, some of us feel like we've gone all the way back to this door. We've got to start all over again. You know, you're never really as far as you think you are. A single moment of repentance can bring you all the way back through that hall. And then my goal is, is stretching onward. All of us, all of us go back and forth in that hallway. The point is you have to keep moving until you come to that place. So then where is, is this blessing you this evening? I think I'm going to teach a little more because I do want to cover the role of holiness and the Holy Spirit in this. And I'll give, give me another 15 minutes or so. James chapter 2. I'm going to read several verses here, verses 14 through 26. Now, some of us, this is going to be a lot because we only are used to the verse of the day. But, but, but this will be your whole week's worth of reading right here, okay? James chapter 2. I love you. I'm just joking. But not really. You need to read more of the Bible. James chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 14 through 26. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but not, does not have works? Can faith save him? Interesting question he's asking here because I just read that it does. So this kind of confused me when I first read it. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead. Key verse here. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So here in James, especially when you look at the various different translations and versions of the Bible, you will find that James is actually writing about the authenticator of your faith, which is works. So if I were to show you two roses and one of them was fake, one of them was real, the technology today that they can synthesize these fake roses is incredible. You could probably even touch. I'm sure they could even add a scent to it, make it smell real. You wouldn't be able to tell them apart. The difference between a fake rose and a real rose primarily is that a real rose can produce more roses. The fake one cannot. So it's not that works. James, the scripture in James is not saying that it's by works that we're saved in the sense that you have to work for your salvation. 
Rather, what, what, what's being written about here in the book of James is the fact that true faith will always produce more works. So I don't do good works to earn salvation. That salvation that God gifted to me will always produce works. So it's not that you receive salvation by your works. It's that the authenticity of your salvation is tested by works. So then here is the balance. Because I don't work to be saved. I work because I am saved. And holiness is my offering back to God, thanking him for him having saved me. So picture a tree. This is how I've illustrated it before. Picture a tree. The tree has really deep, thick roots that go into the ground. And there's the trunk, and then there's the branches and all of the fruit. Now, the way most of us, at least the religious mindset, the way the religious mindset sees it as, they think that works are those roots and that salvation is the fruit. If I work enough, I push deep enough into the ground, that salvation will grow out of that tree. Not so. The way it works in the kingdom of God, the way, the way you receive the benefits of salvation is simply that I have faith. Faith is the root of that tree. And the fruit of the tree of salvation is good works. So then, good works are not the roots of salvation. Good works are the fruits of salvation. I want to say that again. Good works are not the roots of salvation. Good works are the fruits of salvation. There's justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, my position. Sanctification, the process. Glorification, perfection. God is not looking for perfection. He's looking for you to be submitted to the process of being perfected. Now, what is our guarantee? Because this is, this is powerful here. And I'll go for just another 10 minutes. And I want to pray for some people. Ephesians 1.14 says this. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. 2 Corinthians 1.22 says, And he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Here's a little something I wrote to help us understand what the scripture is saying. So in Jewish wedding culture, whenever they were going to get married, the father of the groom, so one day that would be me for, uh, for, for if I have a son, and then if I have a daughter, it's, I get the, the other benefit of it. Or that I, that I have a daughter, I get the other benefit of it. The father of the groom would usually be the one who picked the bride for his son. And the father of the groom found whom he believed to be the choice bride. So the father picks the bride for the son. So he approaches the bride and her family. So some guy, when he approaches me one day, I'll just say no. <laughs> and then the guy, this is how they did it back then. There would be a written marriage agreement, like a contract. That's where the wedding vows came from. It was an actual, it's an actual contract. It's not just to fill the ceremony. You're making agreements and each one was technically supposed to be different, but we all just kind of shared a template contract. There was a written marriage agreement made. After the written agreement was finished, it was customary for the father of the groom to give a gift to the father of the bride. That gift acted as a deposit for the bride. It was a promissory note, a guarantee 
of the groom's intentions to marry. Once that deposit was made, the intent to marry would become official. So the father of the groom finds a bride and then says, here is a gift, and this guarantees that we're coming back for the bride. Now, the way we understand this today, because Jewish wedding traditions, like many of the Jewish traditions, mirror the spiritual realm. Just as the father of the groom selects the bride, so God the Father has chosen to give the church, you and I, to his son. We're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. And God has chosen us for his son. And just as the father of the groom leaves a gift representing his promise, so God fills you with his Holy Spirit to guarantee that he's coming back for you. So it is the Holy Spirit in you that is the proof of your salvation. I want to read one more verse. Romans chapter 8. I'll read verses 15 and 16. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So then the Holy Spirit in me is proof that God has saved me. Now, some people ask again, out of the same religious, superstitious, paranoid thinking, they ask, if I sin, does the Holy Spirit leave me? Let me ask you something. Does it make any sense? For God to remove, as punishment for you not being holy, your only chance at being holy? Think about that. Well, the Holy Spirit left me because I said, no, he didn't. God left the Holy Spirit with you because he knows that's the only shot you have at making it back. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for the super spiritual. He's the only chance that any of us have at being spiritual. He is the Holy Spirit deposited in us. So then the Holy Spirit joins with us. And I think this really is probably one of the greatest works of the Holy Spirit in that he affirms with us that we are children of God, that when you begin to doubt, he speaks, no, you belong to me. He's not going to abandon you. He's not going to give up on you. He's more patient than you are stubborn. He's more gracious than you are sinful. He's going to stick with you. He's going to abide and he's going to work with you on your flaws. That's the Holy Ghost. That's what he does. And we all need him. He causes us to cry, Abba, Father. You see, the very fact that you're struggling with sin, though you may be discouraged by it, is actually a very good sign. Because we have this same problem that Paul wrote about. The things I want to do, I can't do them. No matter how hard I try. It's just the way I am. The things I don't want to do, <laughs> forget that, I keep doing them. So Paul wrote, he was frustrated with himself, and he cries out, who's going to save me from this? You see, the very fact that you're struggling, the very fact that you're frustrated with yourself, the very fact that there's a battle going on inside of you is proof that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And here's why. Because if the Holy Spirit wasn't living in you, there would be no one in you to be frustrated with you. I can't believe it. that right there 
is of the Holy Spirit. That frustration comes because he's speaking to you and he's pushing against the sin nature. The very fact that you are frustrated with yourself is proof that the Holy Spirit abides. And he is not going to give up on you. He's going to remain. And he's going to perfect you. And you may think, I'm not going to be able to change. He's going to help you change. It may take some years. It may take some years. You know, I hear these testimonies of these people who come in from, you know, oh, I was an ex this, ex that. They come in and they're just instantly pastors. And I'm like, I don't know. For some people, it happens that way. But for others, it's a process. And God works with you. You know that the closer you get to the Lord, the more frustrated you get with yourself? Why? Because the closer that light gets, the more you can see all the details of all the flaws. The closer you get to the Lord, the more disgusted you become with the things that you, the more like, why, why, why? That's because you're maturing. That's because you're growing. And as long as you're submitted to that process, there is that promise of salvation. The process always leads to perfection. He that began a good work in you is faithful to finish. We have confidence in our salvation, knowing the Holy Spirit has sealed us by God's promise. And God has promised, I will return for you. Can't we just lift our hands and thank him for the work of salvation? Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you, Father, that you've given us this truth which liberates us. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in fear, but that we can live in holiness. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the power to change. Thank you, Lord, that you give us the ability to overcome ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in us. And thank you for your mercy and thank you for your patience and thank you for your grace. I'm serious. We need to thank him right now. Thank him for his mercy. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for putting up with you. I thank him all the time. I always tell him now. Recently, I've been telling him a lot as I read the word. Lord, there's just too many ways I'm not like you. There's just too many ways. And I'm like, you just do the work. We can get all complicated and frustrated. I can fix this, 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 this. And we've just become overwhelmed with all the things we have to fix. Rather, I just say, Lord, I'm putting myself on the table. You do the work. I'm trusting in you. So you're watching and you know God's speaking to you. I want to pray with you watching right now. And then I'm going to pray with you here. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for that one watching now. And I pray you would bless them, encourage them, let them be liberated by this truth. In the name of our precious Jesus, we pray. And the church said, Amen. well, God bless you. Those of you watching online, we love you. Please come visit us soon. Make sure to share, tag your friends, tell them about this church. Come visit us soon and we will make you feel right at home. God bless you. Let me know when I'm clear. She gave me the thumbs up. There you go. Okay, now we can spread COVID everywhere. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, lay hands, lay hands. <laughs> Some of you guys got offended. Oh, well. Um, I want to pray with you now. I want to pray that the Lord begins to touch his people and that God would just firm up. Some of us just need to become firm in our belief and committed to that process. Look. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to go. So amen. So you're going to make mistakes and you're going to go backwards some days. 
I do it all the time, but I'm committed to that process. I press, what did Paul say? He said, forgetting, he said, I know the key. He says, this is what I've learned. He said, all the things I've gone through, back and forth, frustrated. And this is the guy who wrote about being frustrated with himself. Paul the Apostle. All the things I've done, back, forth. He says, I've, I've learned this, I've learned this. This is the key. This is what Paul says. This is the key. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing on to the prize. Would you come and stand with us at the altar if God is speaking to you, you want to pray? Let the Lord talk to you. Let the Holy Spirit touch your life in a fresh way. And commit yourself. Just If you're saying to yourself, I'm going to commit to the process. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to... I'm not going to wallow in shame. I'm not going to get hung up on my mistakes. I'm just going to let the Lord do his work. Yes, we're reverent. Yes, we need to acknowledge the holiness of God. But realize that salvation is a gift. We need to thank him for that gift and ask him to help us to live it out. Just lift your hands. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message from Praise Chapel Paramount. If you want to stay connected, Follow us online with Facebook and Instagram at PC Paramount or visit our website at praisechapelparamount.com.